On the morning of June 26, 1991, in the large town of Divica, Slovenia, a group of ethnic Slovenians rose from their beds and met in the town square. This was out of the ordinary, but it was no ordinary day. On this day, they anticipated war, for they had received word that the YPA, the Yugoslavian People's Army, had mobilized out of the Croatian border city of Rijeka and were en route to their location. Only six months prior, Slovenia had declared independence from Yugoslavia, and now Yugoslavia was exhibiting their answer. For hours, the Slovenian residents set up barricades around their town to prepare for the attack and established defensive positions before the Yugoslavian military arrived. Strict orders were given. Do not fire first. At 2 o'clock p.m., the YPA 13th Corps assembled before the town and the two sides spent some time glaring at one another, daring the other to fire first. At 2.30 p.m., a shot rang out, fired by an officer of the YPA who'd had enough. It was the beginning of the Yugoslav Wars, a complicated series of brutal conflicts that would ravage former Yugoslavia for a decade. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I am Tanner, and I'm going to be talking about stuff that happened. And the stuff that happened that we're going to be talking about today is the fall of Yugoslavia. We're actually going to talk a lot about the rise of Yugoslavia, too, because to really understand the fall, you got to understand the rise. you got to understand how it all came to be, or else it's not going to make sense, or worse, it won't matter to you. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We have got a lot to get through. This is a big episode, and I mean, there's a reason it took me two weeks to do this episode, because there is a lot of it we've got to get into, and even then, I cannot get through quite everything. Two disclaimers. First disclaimer, this podcast is not intended to be an extremely detailed or elaborate detailing of really anything that happened. I do my best, but I can't do everything. Uh, and second disclaimer... These are difficult things to learn about. What we're going to be talking about today, this is hard, gritty stuff. This is a sad time in Eastern European history that we're going to be talking about. And a lot of really horrible things happen during these wars. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So that is just a little bit of a disclaimer. So I know that you know what you're getting yourself into. So... I mean, without further ado, let's just get started. We are talking about the fall of Yugoslavia and the Yugoslav Wars. In my opinion, these are the most complicated events of the 1980s and the 1990s. There's a lot of moving parts that we've got to cover. So let's start with a few of these big ideas to get the bare bones. Let's go over first the who, what, when, where, and why. First of all, who was involved in the Yugoslav Wars? The people who were involved in the Yugoslav Wars are most members of former Yugoslavia and their citizens and ethnic groups, meaning... Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro, Serbia, and Macedonia, along with all of the ethnic groups that existed in these territories, also with some outside assistance from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, meaning soldiers from a lot of Western Europe and even the United States and Canada found their way to the front lines of these conflicts. And second, what were the Yugoslav Wars? The Yugoslav Wars were a series of armed conflicts, political upheavals, and territorial disputes taking place after the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain in the nation of Yugoslavia because 
primarily of ethnic tensions. Third, when? Well, this is complicated. Technically, the tensions that led to the Yugoslav Wars can be traced all the way back to 1918 when Yugoslavia was created, but this specific series of conflicts began in March of 1991 when Slovenia declared independence from Yugoslavia and Yugoslavia declared it illegal. The conflicts came to an end in 2001 when an insurgency led by Albanian nationalists was quelled in the Republic of Macedonia. Fourth, where? When we think of the Balkan states, we think of a collection of small countries, but Yugoslavia didn't fit into that narrative. In fact, Yugoslavia at its height was about the size of Italy and reached from Austria in the north to Greece in the south, east to Romania and Bulgaria, and west bordering the Balkan Sea, with the exception of Albania. Fifth, why? Now there's a question. To start, we've got to go back. Way back. Beyond any thought of Yugoslavia back. Here we go, everybody. Hang on. Ah, uh, yes. June 15th, 1389, in southern Serbia, claimed today by the autonomous principality of Kosovo, as well as the government of Serbia. A battle has erupted between an enormous force of Ottomans hailing from Anatolia and eager to expand their borders, and a smaller force of soldiers from the short-lived Serbian Empire. As the Ottomans had been encroaching on Serbian territory for decades, the battle had been a long time coming, and neither side was in any hurry to yield. Casualties from what is remembered as the Battle of Kosovo were catastrophic. As the tides of battle swayed back and forth all day, both sides lost most of their armies, but the Serbians eventually fled the field, conceding victory to the equally decimated Ottomans. The Serbian army was in shambles, without even enough men to guard its borders. As the Ottoman Empire had been steadily growing for over a century, its armies had become strong and numerous, and while the Serbians had been successful in leaving a wound in the Ottoman military, the Ottomans had plenty of troops to patch it up. Within decades, the Ottomans were again at the gates of Serbia, and the Serbian government, fragmented by its own civil war, had no choice but to cede its lands to the Ottoman Empire. Seeing the success of this venture, the Ottomans then conducted similar attacks across the Balkans, which was at the time made up of dozens of independent kingdoms, eventually capturing all of modern-day Greece, Albania, Macedonia, Croatia, Romania, Bulgaria, Hungary, and Bosnia, as well as subjecting numerous other northern states such as Wallachia, Moldova, and Ukraine to vassalism. I'd give you a definition, but it's not that important. What is important for, to understand is that these states remained under relatively peaceful Ottoman control for the better part of six more centuries. Now, did you hear that? Six centuries. At this time, many of the people living in Serbia, Bosnia, Slovenia, Croatia, etc. had taken on the ethnic term South Slavs. They were a group of people who spoke Southern Slavic languages, such as Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian, and Montenegrin. However, the Ottoman capital was in Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul, and the native Turks and native Slavs didn't really have much in common other than being the subjects of Ottoman rule. While the Turks had an imperial nationalist ideology supporting the Ottomans, 
the South Slavs were more or less complacent in their existence within the Empire, because rather than the brutal crackdowns of ancient Rome and the Mongol Empire or Soviet Russia, the Ottomans were more focused on economic prosperity, and after the 16th century, they had their fill of conquering. But in this time, the South Slavs began adopting their own national identities. Why is that? Well, the 1700s were a bad time for the Ottoman Empire. They fought in a 20-year war called the Great Northern War, and then they fought a war with Russia, and then a war with Georgia, and then a war with Venice, then with Austria, then with Persia, and then with Russia again, and then with Austria again, then with Persia again. Then there was an uprising in Greece, and then there was an uprising in Constantinople, and then they fought with the Persians again, and then with the Russians again, and then with the Austrians again, and to be honest, this was just the beginning of their problems. I mean, if you thought the 1700s were bad, the 1800s made the 1700s look like a Sunday morning spring jog through a forest in Appalachia. Needless to say, the Ottomans were a bit preoccupied with war to focus too much on micromanaging small-scale governance, and left most leadership positions to local governments, who were mostly made up of citizens from the locality. Hence, citizens from former Serbia were ruled by citizens of former Serbia, and Croats from former Croatia, and Bosniaks from former Bosnia, and so on and so forth. While the Ottoman Empire began to decline, ethnic pride began to rise. And as the Ottoman Empire began to crumble in the 1800s, the South Slavs saw their chance and took it. Come the year 1800, unrest takes hold of the Balkans, and the Ottoman Empire begins rapidly deteriorating. Due to massive debts incurred during their many wars, the Ottomans have begun taxing their subjects at exorbitant rates to offset costs. So what have we learned happens when empires institute high taxes? That's right, and Serbia is the first domino to fall. For 13 bloody years, between 1804 and 1817, the Serb nationalists fought against their Ottoman occupiers, finally winning their status as a tributary state, as opposed to independence. The people of Bosnia saw the success of the Serbian revolution, and in 1830, they attempted a similar revolt. Unfortunately, it was crushed by the Ottomans, but such a defeat fanned the flames of their nationalism. But Serbia wasn't done yet. They were a tributary state, and had not yet won their independence, and it wasn't enough. In 1876, Serbia goes to war with the Ottomans yet again, this time demanding their independence. The small country of Montenegro and the brutalized state of Bulgaria took the opportunity to launch their own popular uprisings that coincided the war. These three conflicts resulted or indirectly led to the establishment of Serbia, Montenegro, and Bulgaria as three independent states. After this war, Serbians had developed a deeply rooted hatred for the Ottomans, who were all predominantly a Muslim population, and because of this, following the end of the conflict, the Serbian army banishes 70,000 Muslim members of its military to Kosovo in the southern part of Serbia. Remember that. The emerging international giant, Russia, took notice of what was going on in the Balkans. Still bitter about the series of wars in the 1700s with the Ottomans, Russia jumped into the fray in 1877, launching yet another Russo-Turkish war. This time, Serbia and Montenegro were independent and eager to send troops to fight. 
The war was a disaster for the Ottomans, who ended up ceding Bosnia and Herzegovina to Austria-Hungary afterward. And when the Balkan Wars broke out in 1912, the nationalism of the new Balkan states was put to the test, and they drove the Ottomans out of the Balkans for good. Then came World War I. If you know the history of the Great War, you know that much of it was due to nationalism in the Balkans. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated by a 19-year-old Serbian nationalist who didn't like his attitude. Then the war broke out. And after World War I, this is where things get real good. The war broke the back of Austria-Hungary, and the Habsburg family gave up their powers, fracturing the country into many others, and among these, Croatia, Slovenia, and Bosnia, each having been ravaged by the war. Finally sick and tired of being yanked back and forth from empire to empire, the three countries contacted Serbia and Montenegro with a proposition. They were all South Slavs, and they were all tired of being told who they held their allegiance to. Why not just hold allegiance to each other? And so, the state of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes was established in 1918. A combination of Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro, Slovenia, Macedonia, and Bosnia and Herzegovina. In 1929, the official name Yugoslavia was born. Okay, we finally made it to Yugoslavia. A lot of exposition, but it's all important. All of this is instrumental in helping us to understand where this sense of Balkan nationalism came from. Now, it was a bumpy transition, but it eventually worked out, and things seemed alright in Yugoslavia, until... Hitler marched into Yugoslavia in April of 1941 and took over the country in a matter of weeks. He did away with Yugoslavia and formed the borders of all respective countries, mostly as they are known today. He established puppet governments in every state except Croatia. Why not Croatia? While Croatia had its own ideas of revolutionary overhaul, and interestingly enough, they seemed to line up pretty cohesively with Hitler's. Ethnic tensions had been growing in Yugoslavia since its inception, and Roman Catholic Croats and Eastern Orthodox Serbs were on no particularly friendly terms, even fighting a civil war in 1939 and 1940. Hitler wanted to exterminate Jews, Gypsies, homosexuals, and a lot of others when the Holocaust began, and a revolutionary movement in Croatia called the Ustasha that took control after the Nazi takeover simply added ethnic Serbs to the list. As war consumed the world, the Ustasha systematically murdered over 300,000 ethnic Serbs living in Croatia. Simultaneously, some extreme Serbs carried out attacks on Bosniaks and Croats, and in retaliation, some Bosniaks joined the Axis and attacked more Serbs. So when the war ended, it's understandable that there were some unresolved issues between ethnic Serbs, ethnic Bosniaks, and ethnic Croats. Following the war, the Iron Curtain fell across Eastern Europe, and because Yugoslavia became communist, you would think that it fell behind the Iron Curtain, but actually it didn't. It did become a communist dictatorship, but it did not align to the East or the West. Even though Stalin wasn't a fan of Yugoslavian nationalism, he was a fan of communism. And in 1944, a new communist leader had risen to prominence as Prime Minister of the country, Joseph Tito. 
As I said, Joseph Tito and Stalin didn't really get along, but Tito still liked communism and instituted it in all of Yugoslavia shortly after the war, though he stayed unaligned with the East or the West through the entire Cold War. In the 1960s, a shift happened in Yugoslavia that separated it from the other communist powers. It became a federation, meaning that there were several republics within the country and each had their own individual constitution, their own individual courts, and their own individual parliaments. Joseph Tito was still prime minister, but there was a lot of autonomy to each republic. In the 1970s, a movement started in Croatia that favored more autonomy and more power for Croatia and less power for Serbia. Why Serbia? Well, they said that Yugoslavia was really just a Serbian state in disguise, that it deserved less say in governmental procedures. Tito caved into these demands and created two more republics in the boundaries of Serbia, one of these being Kosovo. Wait, hang on. So remember how 70,000 Muslims were expelled to Kosovo? Well, it was mostly still Muslim. And also, many people there held ethnic ties to Albania. It's not important right this second, but remember that. The Croats were appeased, but the Serbians felt under attack. The Croatians had exterminated ethnic Serbs less than 30 years before this, and now Tito was bowing to their demands? Well, soon after, Tito died in 1980, and his charismatic unification ideals were not as promoted with the next president. Serbian nationalism was on the rise again, and in the 1980s, Serbians were calling for a greater Serbia and a restoration of the authority lost in Tito's concessions to the Croats. So now the rest of Yugoslavia felt threatened by Serbia. And by 1989, tensions had reached a fever pitch, and with the fall of the Iron Curtain and the fast-approaching death of the Soviet Union, communism was out of style. What was in style? Uprisings in Poland, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. These were in, and the Yugoslavians took notice. The ethnic groups wanted independence. With the major powers of the world backing down from conflict, now was the time. Slovenia started drafting declarations of independence. Croatia started stockpiling arms. Serbia tried to establish full control of the military and formally asked the government to declare a state of emergency so they could assert dominance. It was about to go down. On June 25, 1991, Slovenia and Croatia formally declared independence from Yugoslavia, and the next day, the Yugoslavian People's Army was ordering to re-establish the internationally recognized borders of Yugoslavia, ensuing in a 10-day war between Yugoslavia and the new republics of Croatia and Slovenia. As the Yugoslavian People's Army mobilized for a full-scale invasion, an agreement was made between the leaders of the countries, sponsored by higher powers in Europe, to take a breather for three months. Then they could reconvene. Reconvene meaning then you can have a war after you've actually thought this through. The YPA began to peacefully pull out of Slovenia, but on their way back through Croatia, things got ugly. Ethnic tensions in Croatia were abysmal. While the majority of the people living in Croatia were ethnic Croats, up to 600,000 were ethnic Serbs. When the returning army of the YPA and militant Croats suddenly and rapidly descended into open warfare, Many ethnic Serbs joined in the fighting, taking control of numerous border towns where Serbs were the ethnic majority. And this took ethnic hatred to a new level, and units of the YPA, usually under the jurisdiction of a Serbian officer, 
began actually shelling Croat-controlled towns and cities indiscriminately, regardless of the presence of civilians. In August of 1991, many Serbs living in Croatia declared these Serb-controlled Croatian towns to be collectively a new independent republic. Let me say that again. They were pretty much declaring independence from Croatia, which had just declared independence from Yugoslavia. They were falling into civil war. One month later, the Republic of Macedonia, seeing the mess that Yugoslavia was quickly becoming, quietly adopted its own declaration of independence in September of 1991, but it did manage to stay on good terms with Yugoslavia. In the span of four months, Yugoslavia had gone from Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Slovenia, Montenegro, and Macedonia, and had been reduced to only Serbia, Bosnia, and Montenegro. And Bosnia wasn't about to hang around. While war raged in Croatia, Bosnia decided it was time to bail out and declared independence in March of 1992, being admitted to the United Nations shortly after, infuriating the floundering Yugoslavian government. Under pressure from the UN, the YPA abandoned all operations inside of Bosnia and Herzegovina, returning to Yugoslav borders. But there were hundreds of thousands of ethnic Serbs still living in Bosnia who didn't like the idea of Bosniaks running their lives. See, Bosniaks were primarily Muslim, and Serbs were primarily Eastern Orthodox. If the ethnic tensions weren't bad enough, the religious tensions threw water on a gas fire. Remember how Serbs living in Croatia created their own country? Serbs in Bosnia had the same idea. So now we had Slovenia, Croatia, Serbian Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbian Bosnia and Herzegovina, Yugoslavia and Macedonia, all in what was Yugoslavia less than two years later. It's getting messy. The Serbian Republic in Bosnia organized quickly and mobilized against Bosniak forces, with clashes being reported by the end of 1992. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, a new group of ethnic Croats living in Bosnia had a similar idea to the Serbs, just make a new country. So they did. Now Bosnia was divided into three parts, Serbian Bosnia, Croatian Bosnia, and Bosniak Bosnia, and all three of them hated each other. What a mess. The wars raged for years. Croatian independence was not achieved until 1995 when the Serbian elements were reintegrated into the country, but the situation in Bosnia did not improve for even longer. The ethnic hatred in the region could not be assuaged. The Bosnians were fighting the Croats, the Bosnians were fighting the Serbs, the Serbs were fighting the Bosnians, the Serbs were fighting the Croats, the Croats were fighting the Serbs, the Croats were fighting the Bosnians, everybody was fighting each other, and it was all in this small country. Bosnia is not a large place. And such hatred led to some of the most tragic and infamous events of the war, which amounted to nothing less than war crimes. The Serbian Republic in Bosnia, called the Republic of Srska, embarked on an all-out ethnic cleansing campaign to rid the region of Bosniak Muslims, burning entire villages and taking all the men hostage, with many of them dying while being imprisoned. The most memorable of these events was an event that happened in eastern Bosnia, where a town called Srebrenica, which had been the center of fierce fighting for over a year, was besieged by a Bosnian Serb army. 
For months preceding the siege, elements from the town of Srebrenica had been attacking ethnic Serbs in the surrounding villages, murdering a lot of them. And so this siege was a sort of revenge for the Serb army. But just sieging wasn't enough for them. After a lengthy siege, we're talking years of sieging, refugees began flooding out of the town and holing up in a nearby village of Potichari, which had been designated as a United Nations safe area. Unfortunately, the United Nations had been unable to demilitarize the area completely, so the safe area status was nullified, and the Serb army knew it. The Serb army paid visit to the village, where up to 25,000 Bosniak refugees were gathered. After a day of committing unspeakable atrocities on the refugees, all the men and boys in the vicinity were rounded up and marched away. For two days, these men were forced to march, experiencing horrors at the hands of the Serbs for the entire way, before they were locked in an empty warehouse for several hours and then taken blindfolded by bus to a field where they were systematically executed. These mass executions continued for 11 days. 8,300 Bosniak men and boys were killed. And the most horrifying development was that after the investigation, these killings were not some horrific display of lost control. They were too systematic. It was found that these killings had been ordered by the president of the Serb nation in Bosnia, Republika Srpska. The president ordered these killings. In April of 1995, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States released a report that 90% of all war crimes in Yugoslavia were being committed by ethnic Serbs, turning international opinion against the ethnic Serbs. Infuriated, the Croats, both from Bosnia and Croatia, launched a renewed offensive against the Serbs, driving them nearly entirely out of Croatia. Bosniaks capitalized on this and also launched an offensive to drive the Serbs out, both nations adopting a sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend mentality. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization also began attacking Bosnian Serb positions to drive them out, and on September 14th, airstrikes were halted to allow for peace talks. With these talks, Bosnia was divided into three sectors for the Bosnian Serbs, the Bosniaks, and the Bosnian Croats. The leader of Republika Srpska was found guilty for war crimes, including genocide, and sentenced to life in prison. The wars in Croatia and Bosnia were over. They could now begin the process of establishing themselves as independent nations. But Serbia wasn't out of the woods yet. Remember how I said most people in Kosovo were Albanian Muslims? Well, it turns out Albanian Muslims and Eastern Orthodox Serbs don't really get along. Yugoslavia is still technically a country, but it was breathing its last. In 1998, Kosovo had already been a self-declared autonomous entity for eight years and was tired of not being recognized as one. Since 1995, militant fighters from Kosovo had been carrying out attacks on Yugoslavian forces, and Kosovo was now an organized entity with its own organized army, called the Kosovo Liberation Army, which Yugoslavia had branded as a terrorist organization. In 1998, the fighting between Yugoslavia and Kosovo erupted into a full-scale war, with firefights taking place 
at the borders of Kosovo and Serbia, which was still called Yugoslavia. Nationalist and ethnic ideologies were clashing, and emotions once again reached a fever pitch when the bodies of 45 Albanian Muslims were found massacred by Serb forces. This prompted a NATO response, with NATO shelling Yugoslavia for 78 consecutive days to force them to stop the fighting. In June of 1999, YPA troops pulled out of Kosovo and 30,000 NATO troops were stationed in the region as a peacekeeping force. The two principalities entered into a Cold War, which was only recently amended with a meeting between Serbian government officials and the officials of Kosovo, mediated by United States President Donald J. Trump. Kosovo finally declared independence in 2008. Insurgencies in Macedonia and elsewhere would continue all the way until 2001, but the bulk of the Yugoslav wars were actually over. Montenegro declared independence on June 3, 2006, and only two days later, Yugoslavia was officially dissolved, with the Republic of Serbia taking its place. Now, in 2020, Yugoslavia is only a memory, unfortunately one that future generations will hear very little of. Yugoslavia was by no means a small and insignificant country. The chapters we've discussed today are just a small part of a rich history that can be found in the Balkan states. And remember, this all happened very recently. This wasn't genocide on some far-off battlefield. This was genocide inside of mainland Europe. We consider Europe to be on par with America in the developed world, on par with the United States and Canada and Russia. We believe these all to be the developed world, but these horrible things happened in what we consider to be the developed world less than 30 years ago. Do not forget that we are not immune to the sins of the past, and perhaps this is why we should decide to learn from them. Particularly in the United States, tensions are at an all-time high, and it can be a frightening time just to be a citizen of the United States because we don't know what's going to happen in the next few years if we do not decide to start agreeing with each other on more things than we let divide us. And that's where I'm going to leave this episode today. So, that is the story of the Yugoslav Wars. I spent a lot of time on this. I had to do a ton of research on it. So, uh, thank you all for listening. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, if you, Again, like I said, if you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you can. It really does help us get more people involved with the conversations about history, understanding why it's so important to learn about these things. This is a story that I think is goes goes pretty untold in academic circles, and I'm happy that I am able to cover things like this. So I will see you all next week. We are getting into spooky season. We're getting into Halloween season. And so I've got a couple treats up my sleeve for you guys who like spooky stuff. I will catch you next week. This is Tanner talking about stuff and I'm signing off. See you later.